All right, and we're live. Uh, welcome back to another episode of the Cold Char Podcast. I am joined by the much esteemed and requested Beth Milligan and Anthony Weber. Um, I'm going to call this an emergency podcast because it makes me feel special and like we're breaking some news or having original thought. But I actually did an emergency podcast last week on my other show, the Die Hard Hoops podcast, but it was very different. That emergency podcast was because Michigan State basketball had lost three consecutive games. <laughs> um, this one feels slightly different. And um, so who, who, who would just like to start? Uh, I don't know, kind of Beth summarizing would. feelings. Yeah, yeah Beth, so the, the three, losing three games, the potential subversion of democracy. Like right. they're both good causes for yes. emergency That's what I podcasts, thought. I feel like. That's what I thought. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm still, I'm sure you both too, processing there was a lot that happened yesterday. Um, and just for folks, not sure when this will be released, but just for folks who I'm sure know what we're referring to, but two kind of consequential things happened. One is we had uh, the Democratic uh, Senate run off race in Georgia. So we had two Democratic candidates. It's win there. So Democratic control of the Senate has shifted. Um, that was big. And I thought that might be the biggest news of the day. And then things mm -hmm. took a very weird turn. The Congress met to certify the electoral votes for Joe Biden. And um, President Trump had a rally, which kind of spiraled out of control and ended up in sort of this insurrection of the Capitol and several hours of chaos and violence in Washington, D.C., including four people um, dying. And so the certification of Congress went into late into the night, 4 a.m., I think is when they actually finished that process. Um, but yeah, it was quite a day. Quite a lot happened. Quite a lot. Did I see this morning that the president tweeted that there would be a peaceful exchange on January 20th or something? Yes. He tweeted it through his social media staffer because his own Twitter account had been suspended. Okay. okay. Um, for 12 hours at that point, it was announced today that he is banned from Instagram and Facebook until after the transfer of power has mm. happened, which is a pretty remarkable step mm. to take for a sitting president. But yes, he, for the first time, acknowledged that there would be a peaceful transfer of power. He did reiterate still that he does not believe he lost the election mm -hmm. and that he continues to fight in some other way. But he did say there would be a peaceful transfer of power on January 20th. Okay. Just talking about that and how uh, anytime he... Uh, quote unquote, tried to, you know, quell some of the things that were taking place uh, in terms of the the rioting and the insurrection at the Capitol, but then also at the same time, like pouring more gasoline on it. I'm almost now for the first time with Trump feeling like there is definitely something wrong with him mentally mm -hmm. and this inability to uh, cope with the reality of, and the fact that he lost. And I don't know if, if, um, Anybody else has sensed that same thing, but we're getting reports that like he is out of his mind. And I think that there's this very confused person that is still the president of the United States. Like, does anybody else feel that way? I'm not saying whether we should feel bad. I don't know if we should, but um, it's I think there is a person there that is not right. But the news I'm seeing today and Beth, maybe you can speak to this because this is more your field. But I've seen a couple headlines today that there are some Republican politicians who are pushing to remove him from office before the end of his term. And there are some people from within the out, within the White House who deeply share your concern that this their experience is such that they are they're worried um, in ways that were not they were not worried before. That's just based on what I've been reading. Does that track with what you've been seeing, Beth? Yeah, I was seeing serious discussions about 
invoking the 25th Amendment, both from um, cabinet members who, for understandable reasons, weren't on the record, but were sources for outlets like the New York Times. And also on the record, we had at least one GOP member today. um, His name escapes me right now, but come forward and say we need to look at the 25th Amendment. The impeachment process would likely take longer than it would to seat Biden. So invoking the 25th, which they could do fairly easily with the majority of cabinet members and uh, Vice President Pence, who would become acting president until Biden took over. The process for doing it is is actually simpler than you might think. Mm-hmm. Um, the political, obviously, fallout of doing something like that is a very serious decision. And I don't know if they will or not. What I am interested in, uh, to your point, Taylor, I think I- I've had reservations about Trump's mental stability for a well, long time. That, yeah, I should say that. Like, this narcissistic behavior that just goes above most people. Yeah. And now it seems to me like it's actually gone further than what I ever thought it could, I guess. Yeah. And there are people close to him who were saying, I think especially when the reports of the violence from the Capitol started coming out and he was in the White House reportedly excited that he he sort of felt like his followers were doing what he hasn't been able to do, which is to disrupt the certification process for Joe Biden. And I think that was an alarming tipping point where they were seeing that he was reluctant to dispatch the National Guard. He was reluctant to put out any kind of statement telling his followers to stop and seemed excited by it. And that was when the reports are coming out. The people are like, he is kind of off the reservation at this point. Well, and I wonder, too, I think a lot of people who are supportive of Trump might like Mike Pence in Mm -hmm. some ways better. Um, And I could be wrong about that. But one of the big things about Mike Pence coming on as a vice president was that he was a deeply religious man who had an appeal to a voting base where Trump had not yet cornered that market. And so Pence represented, at least for them, something that was more in line with their traditional values. And though Trump has been, or Pence has often been pretty quiet during the last four years, I think when Pence came forward and said, I will certify the electoral process or whatever the proper Mm -hmm. terminology is there, um, that was a pretty big deal. And then when Lynn Wood comes out and starts saying, well, then Pence ought to be arrested for uh, sedition and executed. I think even then a lot of people started going, okay, wait a second. And I think the fact that Mike Pence has drawn a line pretty clearly. And now you have McConnell, who's done the same thing. You had Mitt Romney today. You've had some other people, Lindsey Graham. Graham. There's been enough people who have said no, Mm -hmm. that I I think that's carrying a weight that is shifting how at least a lot of people are feeling, not everybody. And that's my sense anyway. Yeah. And for me, I guess the big concern would be what happens over the next two weeks. 13 days. Yeah. 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 So and I think that's what everyone it feels. You know, I saw a lot of tweets and a lot of political commentary about, OK, we have a president who has been blocked from almost every major social media outlet for inciting violence in the Capitol. And yet he's still a president who has all the sitting powers of a president and access to the nuclear codes and is in this sort of rage despair spiral for two weeks left in office like what could possibly happen in the next 13 to 14 days maybe because of the statement he's put out he's sort of accepted reality and is focused on the next thing i don't think he's going away which would be fundraising Mm -hmm. either for other candidates or himself for a future term Um, but it does make me a little bit nervous to know after what happened yesterday that there's still this long lame duck session ahead of us yeah i do have real concerns about the 20th yeah Mm -hmm. Yeah. In terms of like just what might happen in the Capitol mm-hmm. or. Yeah, or anywhere, because it it wasn't just D.C. yesterday. There was a number of cities around the U.S. that 
where there were problems. And I'm not convinced that the way it ended yesterday will mean that has diffused the plans for the 20th. Mm-hmm. So I'm, yeah, I have concerns about the 20th also. Yeah, I, I would definitely think I do. And when you had mentioned Mike Pence, I, I do remember specifically a lot of people that, you know, had voted for Trump and were rationalizing that vote or explaining it. were saying like Pence is, Pence is actually who I voted for. He's this voice of reason and he's going to be able to work well with Trump um, and be this, be this person that kind of has our backs there. And now to even see that, you know, Trump has thrown Pence to the wolves um, too, is just, it just continues. You continue to see these, this group of Trump loyalists kind of shrinking, but becoming more extreme. And so I think as the number, even though it's getting smaller, the group of people is wearing a lot more fur and war paint than what they <laughs> they were before. It's strange. It was really interesting to see the tonal shift that happened between the hours of when Congress first recessed, um, when there was the objection to Arizona's votes, and then we sort of had all this violence happen, and they, the senators were taken to a secure location and came back several hours later to resume the process once the Capitol had been secured. So we knew that there was going to be this plan to object to multiple uh, electoral votes in, in multiple states um, and sort of go through this whole debate process, even though everyone was very clear at the end that Biden was going to still be certified. It was a sort of symbolic, I guess, gesture of nothing else. And to see how many Republican senators came back and they were like, uh, OK, we're <laughs> we're going to just bow out of this process because mm. we can we don't believe this is productive. Um, I was glad to see that shift, but to me, that was so illustrative of the fact that it was all theatrics to begin with. I mean, if you truly believe there was a subversion of democracy and a stealing of election taking place, I don't think a few hours of violence in the Capitol would change your commitment to pursuing that justice. But if you knew it was a theatrical charade and that that charade might further fuel claims of violence, and that's why you decide to ease back on your rhetoric, it does make me angry because it, it showed how unnecessary that process was in the first place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it, it seems like you said, just posturing and kind of too little too late. And it makes me question, like we've always questioned the integrity of politicians, right? But for the first time, I'm like really truly evaluating the integrity of these people in a way that I never have before. And like the curtain's been pulled back in a lot of ways. Well, and honestly, there's some irony in the fact that the storming of the Capitol undermined what had the potential to be a an investigation, mm-hmm. right? I mean, that potential was there. I don't know if they had the votes to pull it off or not, but they would have had the discussion. They would have put things on the public record. They would have had the day to go through all of that. And this undermined that entire process. And I wonder, too, if there weren't some of the Republican politicians who were a bit miffed by that. Like we, we were ready to go. And I don't know, I'm with you. I don't know how much of it is theatrics um, and versus how much of it is a, a plan to genuinely unfold facts. Because as far as I'm aware, there's been a lot of allegations, but no facts have been forthcoming. And I think the loss of what, 59 out of 60 lawsuits on the election is illustrative of that. Mm-hmm. You just used the word illustrative, Beth, and now it's in my head <laughs> and I want to use it too. Um, so I do wonder if that was part of the shift also was a recognizing that this actually undermined what we were trying to accomplish, which so brings me to this idea that I wrote about this the other week, Taylor, when you and I did the podcast, that when it comes to try, when it comes to trying to think about how we can appropriately use violence in the world, if we can, 
The closest thing we have to a good way of navigating that is just war theory, which I think can be applied into things that are smaller than wars. And one of the key things has to do with, do you have an outcome that you're confident you can accomplish and that violence is the final means to get there, so to speak? Everything else has been exhausted. You have to resort to this and you're very confident of outcome. One of my questions is, what did the people storming the Capitol yesterday think would be the outcome? I mean, I don't think there was a plan. No. And I think it's quite clear that all avenues weren't exhausted. Like, even if I filter what happened through the template that I have embraced for years about how to try to understand something like this, I I don't see how even I've, even if I were convinced that there was a stealing of the election, I still don't see how I could justify that happening because it, it doesn't fit in, and I think a fairly commonly accepted way of understanding how we escalate things and why. Particularly because it was publicly known that there were going to be Republican senators yeah. and, and members of the House who were going to object to the electoral process. So there was still this possibility to have this hearing and, like you said, to have this vetting of the concerns. Um I think for me, one of the things I wanted to talk to you guys about was this whole truth element of of all of this. And it's it's what I've been wrestling with for the last 24 hours. One, again, I think this was a theatrical um, performance that was going to happen in the in Congress anyways. Uh, like you mentioned, I think it's actually up to 62 or 63 court cases have failed okay. in trying to prove any kind of election fraud or stealing of the election. Um, because I'm a journalist, facts and truth are really important to me. And also I have a very ingrained sense of fairness. So if I felt, even if it was for a candidate I didn't support, an election was being stolen, I would want that to be vetted. I would want that to be explored. They have had every opportunity to prove that that has been the case and they have not been able to provide any evidence. So in that case, just saying, I feel like the election is being stolen because the person I supported hasn't been elected is not a compelling argument. Um, and I got frustrated by what I thought was going to be this um, Republican posturing all day yesterday to try to suggest in some way in, in this really sort of sacred governmental ground that there is substance to these conspiracy theories, which would then, you know, kind of haunt our democracy for ever many years going forward and really undermine people's trust in having a fair election, even though everyone from William Barr to our local and state yeah. elected officials have said this was a fair and secure election. So there's that issue. The other one I wanted to talk to you guys about and get your opinion about is this narrative that started to emerge. And it took several hours to come out. But then the suggestion that all of the violence was the responsibility of BLM and Antifa. What? <laughs> Antifa plants in the Trump crowd. And I saw so many people, people who were from Trevor City, where we're uh, taping this podcast, who said they were there who said they were peaceful Trump uh, supporters who had gone to peacefully support the president and that they believed that there were just violent plants. And of course, they're all leftist violent plants in mm -hmm. this. And I, I thought there's no way this narrative is really going to catch on. And I just saw it spreading and spreading and spreading. And I was like, you have to be kidding me. On top of everything else, we have this clear video photographic evidence. The president holds a rally. He says, let's all go down to Congress. <laughs> he gets in a car and goes to the White House <laughs> to hide out. And everyone marches to Congress and has this violent moment. And we're supposed to believe like this suddenly is a leftist plant movement. I just it's like Orwellian in the way that we're being told not to believe what we're seeing and hearing. And I'm just reaching sort of a breaking point of like we need to have some sort of common reality. I think people might have forgotten the Freedom Rally. It was Freedom Rally a couple weekends ago mm -hmm. that was very pointed in its language that they, right. yeah. 
So an interesting thing about that, Beth, because I agree with you. I, I too thought, okay, this is just a rumor. And I was really surprised how it took hold. Uh, I remember that also being a rumor this last summer during the Black Lives Matter rally when there was violence, that the left's claim was that there was people from the right who were sneaking in and they were causing the violence and it wasn't the core Black Lives Matters agitators. Yeah. I have a feeling this might be the new narrative whenever there's violence. <laughs> um, but one of the things that struck me with the Antifa claim for yesterday was you could right away go onto social media and you could see whoever that the guy was who's associated with Q. Q Medic, is that what he goes by? Who had that? Q antler? Shaman, Q Manon. Q Shaman, yeah. thank you. Something mm -hmm. like that. Q Shaman. Okay, that's, everybody knows who that is. That's not an Antifa guy. And then you see all the people who are taking their selfies and a, wasn't it a state rep? Who, from West Virginia. From West Virginia, who videoed himself going into the Capitol. Okay, that's not Antifa. The leader and, of the Proud Boys mm -hmm. was arrested. You know, these are, you have D.C. arrest records yeah. to, to back yeah. some of these things. And then the Washington Times runs a story from a facial recognition program company saying they had run facial recognition and identified at least two people who were Antifa. Well, this company promptly issued a rebuttal and said, we absolutely did not do anything of the kind. In fact, these two people are neo-Nazis. They have nothing to do with Antifa. <laughs> but now the Washington Times story has gone everywhere and lots of people have been citing it as proof. And it's simply not true. Mm. Um, and, and I'd be curious, what did Antifa have in mind if they were seeking to undermine an electoral process that was going to seat a Democratic president, a Democratic Senate, and a Democratic House? Like, I would imagine they'd actually be quite thrilled about that rather than wanting to undermine the process. So. And also the fact that you had multiple members of the Trump family issue statements. So you had Ivanka Trump issue a Twitter statement in which she said, Patriots, yeah. you know, please stop this violence. You know, we basically we love you, but please stop. And then she deleted it because she was calling what a lot of people consider to be domestic terrorists, patriots. He took that down. Trump's own video said, we love you. We understand why you're upset. The election's being stolen from us, but please go home. So they all clearly believed it was their followers who were in the Capitol, yeah. as everyone else who had eyes and ears did. The only positive takeaway I take from blaming leftist Antifa plants is that there's clearly still a shame around violence that would prompt someone mm -hmm. to need to excuse the behavior, which I guess is good. If the national response to this um, sort of siege of the Capitol had been, wow, look at these brave patriots. They're standing up for democracy. I think people would have been happy to take credit for that as Trump yeah. supporters. But because it was clear condemnation from both sides of the aisle, it was a need to put the blame somewhere. And the easiest narrative was like, oh, that's not Trump supporters. That's the left, mm. even though it's ridiculous. Yeah. I should note also, I have a couple of friends who were there and they were posting on Facebook that they just did not that was not part of their experience. And sure. I believe them. Yeah, I do too. And I, I think it's probably the case as in most marches of that size, that there is a small group of people who often get the headlines, but hasn't this always been true? A couple of years ago, I had a student at NMC who had been to DC for one of the women's marches. It was the march that was infamous for the anatomically correct hats the women were wearing. <laughs> and uh, good way to put that. Go ahead. <laughs> when she came back, we were talking about it at our class because we were we were talking about protests, et cetera, the ethics of all those things. And she said she was shocked when she came back and saw what was happening because she said, I was there all day. I walked for miles. I never saw anything that the news covered. Well, I believe her. 
Um, and it didn't mean that the news was lying. Mm-hmm. Just like yesterday, the fact that the news was showing some things, I think the impression was out there that it was fake news somehow, mm-hmm. but it absolutely happened. But so did the peaceful part. Right. I mean, they were all part of the same scenario. So I know people who were coming home today because they did not like what happened yesterday and they didn't want to be part of something that might escalate. Uh, and so I, I want to make sure that I acknowledge that reality, mm-hmm. <laughs> but you also can't look away from the reality of what did happen. Yeah. Well, I think, I, go ahead. Sorry. Well, I was just thinking about there is something that feels good about being surrounded by people that think like you do and yeah. have the same. And yep. so I'm sure there were, I don't remember what the final tally of how many people were there, but yeah, there was probably this element that was super, super fun and, and feeling that sense of camaraderie. Mm. The issue is then when it's the hundred or so that, that would break into the Capitol, they're feeling emboldened by the group of people that are behind them that are only there for a good, a right. good time, the good right. portions of it. And so, you know, I have, I have kind of have issues with anybody that was there, uh, despite, you know, their experience. Cause I think it all contributed to what we actually saw take place just by the numbers. Yeah. And I think to go to back to what you were saying, Anthony, about the just war theory, um, I think part of the problem I have is I I don't really like the equivocation, even if it were true, between Black Lives Matter and what happened at the Capitol yesterday. I think people have a right. They have a constitutional right to peacefully protest no matter what their stance is. But you know what people were protesting yesterday was a demonstrably false conspiracy theory of a stolen election. And again, there have been all of the proper form forums available to prove that there was some injustice committed. And it's gone through the courts over and over and over. We've gone through the elected officials. We've gone through the Department of Justice. You haven't been able to prove anything. So it, it, it's a it's a discredited conspiracy theory. So, you know, the emotion behind that, I have a hard time sympathizing with and to escalate into violence, I have an even harder time with versus a cause like Black Lives Matter we can have a whole philosophical discussion about when violence is allowed or not. You guys have had the conversation. Anthony and I have had that conversation (laughs) in past podcasts, but you know, that's a whole separate movement of demonstrated injustice. I I totally agree. I was not meaning to equivocate the character of the two movements just to note the accusations been thrown out in both cases. Yeah. So for me, it's like, you know, that idea of the riot being the language of the unheard is like, you Mm -hmm. know, BLM is a movement of a lot of the black community who have lost family members who have had people gunned down in their community. We have it on tape. Police officers have gone to trial and and been let off the hook. And so I I don't like the equivocation to begin with. And I'm not saying you were doing that, Anthony, but just to address that and then to to somehow suggest, you know, violence is never okay. It's like, well, I just think you have to look at each of these issues individually. Sure. I was thinking last night that if you would ask somebody who raided uh, the building yesterday, you would ask them, why did you resort to violence? And they would say, because no one is listening to our words. Mm-hmm. And I am envisioning all the Black Lives Matter processors going, yeah, yes. <laughs> like yeah. that actually <laughs> they both groups. And if, if this sounds like I'm trying to equivocate the causes, I'm not, but both groups ended up expressing themselves in a particular way out of a frustration that they've not been heard. I have tried to be, to be heard. And I could see that, that might, does that sound like I'm trying to compare the two? I, I'm trying to make a comparison that says the critics of Black Lives Matter who say, how dare you resort to violence? I feel like they're the ones who resorted to violence. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And if you would say why, they would say, because I don't feel like the system is working. Right. That's what happened. 
a lot over the summer also. Mm-hmm. And I, I think we've all talked about this. I, um, we could have a whole separate discussion about the Black Lives Movement, et cetera. I'm just saying in terms of the criticisms that, w- that were leveled over the summer, um, I think it puts the people yesterday in a position where they have to start giving that a pass because mm-hmm. that's exactly what they did yesterday. And there was also, and actually just before I walked in to tape with you guys today, I was listening to Joe Biden was announcing his Justice Department picks, including Judge Merrick Garland as his new attorney general. And he said in his opening remarks, if it had been, there is some widely circulated photos right now of Capitol Police in response to Black Lives Matter this summer. They were lined up in riot gear <laughs> on the steps of the memorial. And then what happened yesterday, which for people who are watching, I, I still think there's a whole story to come about the Capitol Police's response to what happened yesterday. They seem to just allow everyone in. I think they're going to investigate that. <laughs> yeah, because it's like, if this had been a well-organized terrorist group, they can take over the government pretty easily, it appears like. Because yeah. people just walked in and were, you know, defacing things. They went in Nancy Pelosi's office and were t- stealing her mail. So it just, it raises a lot of questions about their response. But Joe Biden said today, and I think he's true, that if those have been Black Lives Matter protesters, if it had been people of color swarming into the Capitol, I think the response would have been much more violent. It would have been much different, much quicker. And so that is, again, when you're comparing movements, it's a little bit of another bitter pill for the people of color to swallow that they felt like, you know, that we would have been dead if we had tried to take over. If a Muslim had gone up on the dais of the, of mm. the Capitol, that person would have been shot. Now, we did have people who were casualties yesterday, but I just did not see a response that I think I would have seen if it were black or brown people on the Capitol. Yeah, I, I subscribe to that theory totally. Yeah. Um, I I believe that. And I think that that has really kind of, for me, uh, reinforced you know, what this is all rooted in and the level of hatred um, that exists there and kind of this double standard. I mean, I, I do believe that. And I was seeing a lot of things from um, my black friends that was like, You know, the responses that took place this summer to peaceful protests um, compared to what happened in the response yesterday, it's like we're not advocating for police brutality. We're asking for less brutality when we're doing what we think is right. Yeah. Proportionate responses. Yes. yes. Yeah. 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 I think that's a I think that's something that definitely has to be examined. It already has to be. But especially now, I think both sides in this have been given ample opportunity to be hypocritical. And I think we need to look at the hypocritical aspects of everything we're doing and figure out like, how can we, you know, refine our approach? I'm concerned about what's going to unfold from here because mm-hmm. a precedent has been set. So in four years, uh, let's say Joe Biden is up for reelection and he doesn't get the election. What's to stop thousands of Democrats from going there and storming it again? What then will Republicans say? Because I feel like after yesterday, Republicans can't say anything other than I get it. And (laughs) that I feel like you're just giving away some really important things. And if this becomes the new normal, I mean, then the American experiment's done. I mean, already the results from around the world, I don't know if you guys have been seeing this, but comments from nations across the globe are just they're appalled. They're disappointed. They're sad. They thought America was something that it's apparently not. And I, I don't know how you put this cat back in the bag, frankly. Yeah. And that's one of the things I've been trying to think about is like how we move forward. And, and one thing that's been frustrating, you know, you had all these sort of last minute comments from Republicans last night, like Lindsey Graham, 
Um, you know, he he kind of had this. This was after the violence had taken place. They'd reconvened late in the middle of the night. And he said, you know, I've been on a hell of a journey with Trump, but he's like, I can't do it anymore. Like enough <laughs> is enough. He's like, I'm out sort of, you know, I'm done. And I was like, there were some people on Twitter who started being like, wow, even Lindsey Graham is like, you know, telling Trump off. And the other people were like, no, you don't get a pass, Lindsey Graham. Like, <laughs> you have been on this train for four years. Yep. You have fully endorsed the conspiracy theories. You know, he's a longtime friend of Joe Biden's. And Joe Biden had talked about how mm. betrayed he felt that he would not recognize his mm. earned presidency. And so I, I feel frustrated that I feel like it's not just Trump. There were so many members of the Republican Party that allowed these conspiracy theories to foment who encouraged it, who wouldn't, um, you know, endorse Biden that he had won the, you know, fairly won election. And then this violence happened and people were like, whoa, we need to disassociate ourselves because this has gone too far. And it's like, this is the natural exact ending of what you were promoting all along. So mm -hmm. to try to disassociate, so, disassociate yourself now, I just feel like is really disingenuous. Yeah. You can't like not take responsibility for that. That's, I think what, what has to, uh, play out a little bit in order to like heal this this wound is some type of humility and ability to say like listen I'm sorry I should have got off this train sooner like Lindsey Graham I am not um pleased with how long it took him to just finally be like oh wow I mean he has that famous tweet from 2016 that said if we elect Donald Trump we will get exactly what we deserve mm -hmm. and that is from four years ago playing and playing and he's been in some ways his pauper ever since then and it's like why should he be able to now be able to just distance himself from that? And I know we did a podcast on cancel culture. Yeah. And I think it's similar <laughs> to that is like, you know, what is it going to take? Uh, what level of humility will people be willing to say, you know, I kind of got this wrong. I took a bit of a risk here following this dude and it got out of hand. It's been out of hand for me um, for a long time, but it certainly should be out of hand for everybody after yesterday. And like we talked about on the the cancel culture podcast is like, I'm sorry, I'm having a hard time believing your genuine moral conversion at this politically expedient moment mm -hmm. for you to say, oh, I better distance myself from Trump. Like that to me does not carry any weight. Like we can see going forward how you respond to language like this, if you're willing to quell conspiracy theories. But it's not okay to just have this violence happen and then realize, oh, this doesn't look good for me politically. So now I'm going to have this change of heart. Yeah. Honestly, one day earlier would have made a big difference. Yeah, yes. Sure. Because at least now the way it feels is that people were waiting to see how the winds were going to blow. Mm -hmm. And if you wait till you see where it's going before you make your comment, it doesn't carry as much weight. As if when you weigh in earlier, I'm thinking back to what happened in Michigan this summer mm -hmm. when the president was encouraging people in Michigan to stand up to Whitmer. And we have the invasion of the courthouse in Lansing. Yeah. With and the whole our, kidnapping plot. The whole kidnapping plot. All of those things. I mean, there were hints coming up that this was not going to end well. And I would have liked to see even then much more bold statements from people going, um, this is not okay. This is not okay. And it it does feel too late. I agree with you. So how do you guys, I wanted to ask you this, how do you guys see this moving forward, this this big division that, <laughs> that exists in the country? Because I, I mean, as someone who generally is aligned with the Democratic Party, although there, and we've had many conversations, I, I consider myself independent, I think somewhat as Anthony does, mm -hmm. that there are issues I go both ways on, but generally lean in uh, Democratic. I'm excited to have, 
this change in presidency, just to have some calming down of rhetoric. I'm excited to have a democratically controlled Senate. That's just me. But I also recognize that even though that might be a more um, convenient atmosphere for me to operate in for the next four years, Mm -hmm. there's still this huge national divide. And I think the one that I'm struggling with the most is friends and family members who have been Trump supporters. What my relationship with them is going to be like during this next term and what their relationship with reality is going to be like. Um, And I I just wanted, I guess I'm curious what you guys think about that. Pushing this over to me first. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm going to take this opportunity just to vent for real quick is, um, is that I had, I had said, and and as someone that is not privy to any inside information or been involved in politics in any way, um, I had said to my family in 2016, I made it very clear that I was not supporting Donald Trump. I said, I truly believe that if he's elected, something so major is going to happen in the next four years, like you wouldn't be able to believe it. Um, I said, I think it's going to be something that we never would have thought would have happened in our lifetime. And I think that's what yesterday was. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I'm not trying to say like, I'm the soothsayer and had this prediction, but a lot of people felt that there was that risk associated with putting him in power. And I felt that very strongly. Um, I was very much going to bat for what I thought was uh, justice the last four years on social media. And I was lambasted over and over about how character doesn't matter. Words don't matter as long as you can get to the bottom line and that that's what Trump does. So for me, um, I'm not feeling like a sense of um, like, I told you so, Mm -hmm. but it definitely reinforced like, hey, dude, you were actually right. Words do matter. Character does matter. And so I think that Biden will do us a lot of favors simply by not having such divisive rhetoric as the person that was before him. And I think that that actually can go a long way because for me, as much as I think uh, divisive rhetoric can harm, I think that also, um, you know, a a comforting rhetoric can also do a a lot of good and can be healing. And so that's kind of what I'm counting on Mm -hmm. too, is that there's not going to be so many uh, character issues and there might be character issues with Biden. Uh, There probably is, but there's not going to be so many blatant ones that you're going to be able to point to because that was what a lot of this was, too, is it wasn't just fighting over policies. It was fighting uh, what people thought was good and evil Mm -hmm. a lot of ways. Oh, no, it's my turn, isn't it? (laughs) Um, So I think I, I might have a different experience than you guys in that. I will likely build some bridges with Trump supporters in the next four years because I'm not that excited about a Biden presidency, Um, but I wasn't excited about another Trump term either. So maybe that's the independent part of me that I, I, I had, I have deep concerns about both of them. Um, So I, I don't know what the next four years hold politically. I increasingly identify myself as an independent for sure. Um, Can I, I also say I do as well? Yeah. And so my excitement for a Biden presidency is only uh, relative to how nervous I was about a Trump presidency yeah. <laughs> for a it, second term. But when I say that too, I mm-hmm. think Biden is probably a bit more of a centrist than a lot of people think, or at least he will be a president from a more centrist position. I'm thinking maybe reminiscent of Bill Clinton um, without, <laughs> without intern scandals. I yeah, okay. We could do a separate discussion about Joe Biden. I think there's ways he could really drop the ball for mm-hmm. sure. But this is also an opportunity in American history where 
if he has a solid group of people around him whose advice he takes seriously and who guide and steer him, I think it, it could go better than I hope. I felt the same way about President Trump. In fact, before he got elected, my thought was, okay, he's a businessman. He's used to having people around him that he delegates authority to, et cetera, et cetera. And so if he gets a good people, a good group of people around him, this could be good. But that didn't turn out to be who he was. Um, but so I, in some ways, I feel the same way about Biden. I haven't done any research into people he's appointing. But I'm a big fan of the idea that if any president gets a good core group of people around them who are rational, stable, reliable people, and they take them seriously and let them give them input from their areas of expertise, um, that is certainly better than other alternatives. Um, I, there are platforms the Democratic Party stands for that I don't agree with. There are some platforms they do that I probably do agree with. So we'll see where it goes. I think one thing we'll find out, and this is just me predicting, I'm not a prophet. I think we'll find that Supreme Court is more centrist than people expected, hmm. is my sense. Um, the, it's already been a little bit of a sigh of relief mm -hmm. that they didn't take up some of the presidential mm -hmm. court cases. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and, and people who were convinced they would have been calling them traitors, mm -hmm. you know, treasonous language. Very, very upset. I, I think what you'll probably find is the court will remain fairly centrist in what it does, mm -hmm. for better or for worse. Mm. I think the one that I'm struggling with the most is I I see, and this was really illustrated yesterday, but I think it had already been building. I see the Republican Party splintering into a more extremist wing that's sort of Trumpist. I think you're right. I don't think Trump's going away. Um, you know, whether yesterday was enough of a shock to people to diminish some of his political clout, I don't know. I think there will always be an extremist branch that's kind of devoted to his personality. Fur and war paint. Yeah, he's got a lot of kids. He's got a lot of people who are still kind of the QAnon crowd that's willing to hang with mm -hmm. him, I think. So whether we have to deal with another four years of him starting, you know, January 21st with a 2024 campaign, I don't know. I could see him doing it for fundraising issues, if none other, because he's going to have some court cases he's going to deal with outside of the mm -hmm. national level after this. So I think that that branch is going to happen. I mean, there was already talk yesterday, you know, if you saw some of the interviews with protesters or domestic terrorists, whatever you want to call them, on news yesterday, some of them were saying, you know, these GOP people better watch out. These Republicans better watch out because we're not going to support them. Like, we're Trump's party. We're not Republican party. Yeah. I think that represents a sentiment. It, I don't know how widespread that sentiment is within the Republican party, but I think there's enough. It's like a Tea Party <laughs> sort of type movement. What I have a hard time struggling with going forward is I, I know people who belong to that movement and I'm having a really difficult time. I started writing an essay the other day because I was getting so worked up about this and I was like, you know what? Other people have said this better than I have. I'm not gonna, I don't need to spend all my time working on this, but the, the title of the essay was Trumpism means never having to say you're sorry. And this idea that what I've been so upset by is just this complete divorce from reality, this complete this idea that we don't ever have to agree on shared truth, that we can just say without any evidence, we believe the election is stolen. We believe, you know, any any conspiracy theory that, that was leftist Antifa that was in the Capitol and not Trump supporters. And no, no amount of evidence that you present will change their minds. It's just operating in an own reality without any truth. 
I don't, as someone who loves truth and believes it's deeply important, I don't know how to operate in that field, especially with people I have personal relationships with. I've tried cajoling. I've tried yelling. I've tried presenting evidence. Nothing seems to work. And I'm kind of getting to that point where it's like, I think those ideas are so dangerous and should not be coddled. I think they have been coddled for four years and resulted in what happened yesterday. So I don't think you can just give them a pass and just say, okay, live in your alternate reality because that reality is interacting with ours. But I also don't know what to do. And you both are Christians who I know believe in the inherent value of each people. People are made in God's image. My conclusion at this point has been almost like, I think these people should be marginalized. <laughs> I, I think their voices need to be treated as not important. I think it's we have to be, the rest of us, operating in some sort of truth-based reality. And if you're not willing to operate in good faith and engage with that reality, then I think you should be off on the margins just like someone who insists that the earth is flat. Um, but I also recognize that there's a diminishment of that to people's dignity. And I, I just don't know how to reconcile those things. I'm really curious what you guys think about that. I, I like that idea of <laughs> marginalization. No, I know. No, it's hard to, the language is hard to, it to is, come to. But we have to kind of, um, in a sense, police each other and hold each other accountable for the crazy things that we say and believe. And that's what I've been working through is this these consequences for conspiratorial thinking and how it's really easy to get into that game and there's very few consequences for it. And so when you think about Pizzagate, like there was probably a consequence for the person that went in there and started shooting up the pizza parlor that they weren't supposed to. But there wasn't a consequence for the random person that was believing Pizzagate. Well, there's lots of people who still do. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And what are, what are the consequences? Um, unless we kind of push them out onto the fringe, I, I guess. I don't know. They, they, I don't know the best approach to doing that, but that to me is why conspiracies are so dangerous. No, I think, I think there is something to, that we have to kind of consider is like, how do we hold people accountable for when they engage in this type of thinking that leads to dangerous activities? Because it's like I said earlier, like not everyone was um, crowding the Capitol, but they, the ones that were felt empowered by those that were behind them. And then those ones feel empowered by their friends on Facebook that were like, man, if this wasn't 12 hours away, I would totally be there. You know? So what do we do with those people? And I'm really curious for Anthony. I, I'm a, I like to put him on the spot sometimes. Yes, you do. You're good at responding on the spot, but especially for you, it's been interesting to watch as a friend of yours, as a pastor trying to navigate this time, um, because there's been so many, I've seen just not just your church, but many churches where this issue of Trump supporting uh, Christians, those in the Republican Party who don't support Trump, the intermingling of politics and religion is really messy. I think for a lot of the community, it, it you know you're wrestling with how do we be in community with each other? We have these really different opinions, and I'm curious how you navigate as a pastor who's also advocating for truth when you have members of the congregation maybe that are in a different truth space than, than some of the others? Like, how, how do you manage all of that? With fear and trembling. Sure. <laughs> I bet. Uh, so in church circles right now, there's discussion of something called the Great Migration that's been happening in the last four years, and that is uh, church attenders are migrating toward churches that are full of like-minded people politically. I think that's bad for churches. Because I think that the church is intended to be a place that um, displays what I think Paul called this new humanity that is united by Jesus such that that 
type of unity overpowers everything else that might divide us. And I feel like churches are meant to be really diverse places. And that diversity is lessening. And honestly, it makes me sad. It, it might make pastoring easier in one sense in that you're not juggling so many different perspectives in a congregation. But on the other hand, I'm not sure. I think it would make church far less meaningful. One of the things that's remarkable to, remarkable to me is how people who have a lot of disagreements on what I would call secondary issues or open hand issues can get together on a Sunday or in regular church kind of community life and love each other and get along. And kind of swallow hard at times and go, okay, I was just talking about this to Taylor with the last podcast we did. We disagreed about something in the podcast. And I told him afterwards, I really like, well, I really like Taylor. But one <laughs> thing I really like about Taylor is that Taylor has no problem saying, ah, I'm going to push back there. I'm not sure I agree with you. Mm -hmm. And we get along just fine. Mm -hmm. And Beth, you and I have been like this for years and that we disagree on things, but we get along with each other. Mm -hmm. And so that... That, I think, is supposed to be the vision of what the church does. So if I could say anything to people who are listening to this who are members of a church, I would just say, man, pray for, for grace and strength to know how to navigate these differences with wisdom. So that's my first thing. I don't want to see the church splinter. I think we're better together, and I think it's going to be really, really hard. Um, and it's not as if there's never cases where— distance is better than closeness, but I tend to default toward, I think we can figure this out. Mm -hmm. um, and that that is the hard approach, frankly, mm -hmm. but I, I tend to think the best things in life are often approached down a hard road. When it comes to the question of navigating truth and what how you have conversations when, when frankly, you have two camps of people who are both convinced that the other camp just does not see reality, mm -hmm. right? I don't know how to bridge that, Beth. Yeah. I know for myself personally, the the best I can do is I'm I'm like you. I try to read widely. I try to make sure that my news sources are incredibly varied because I am afraid I'll get caught in a bubble and I will start to view things through a lens that's a lens that's ignoring parts of reality I should not ignore. And so I just continue to encourage people, please broaden your world, broaden your world. I'm going to give you one example I thought was fascinating last night. Between about uh, three o'clock and five o'clock, I was flipping back and forth between CNN and Fox to watch the live feed of what was happening. And for, for that time period, I don't know what happened on them before that time period, but for that time period, while the discussion on both of the channels was actually pretty close to the same. Mm -hmm. The picture was starkly different. Mm -hmm. So CNN was showing the steps of the Capitol building. It was showing people climbing in and out of windows. When the police at curfew or before curfew started to move people out of the building, it was showing all that happening. Fox had a camera placement at a different place and only showed people milling around peacefully. They did not show the Capitol steps. Mm. And so I, and I watched this for a couple of hours mm -hmm. and I thought, fascinating, depending on which one you're watching, the language of the tension and that type of stuff, it wouldn't make sense to a Fox viewer because that is literally not what they saw. Okay. So how do I get a well-rounded view of both? 
or a well-rounded view of what happened. I flipped back and forth to both because mm -hmm. it was two different camera angles, both of which showed something important that was happening that day. There were lots of peaceful people. There were some people who weren't. And that strikes me as an analogy for how we need to approach the world. And that is simply, you have to be able to broaden where you're studying, what you're seeing. And, and that's what I tend to just encourage everybody to do. And it goes, I think, to something you and I talk about a lot, which is like the good faith effort of trying mm -hmm. to educate yourself, because I don't believe that everyone needs to think like me to be my friend or my family member. Um, but I do think you have to engage with some level of, again, shared truth, shared reality. Um, and I think what I have a hard time with with Trumpism specifically is that the denial of reality seems tied to specific goals which is avoidance of discomfort, avoidance of loss, of failure. Um, and I, for example, not accepting the election. It, it was it was positive even before the election happened. There, there was no way Trump could legally lose the election. He was setting up that expectation. Mm -hmm. I cannot lose. I am a person who cannot lose. That is a really unhealthy attitude to have. Joe Biden, on the other hand, gave an interview in which he was asked if he lost what that would mean. And he said, maybe it means I'm not a good candidate. And I was like, God, that's a refreshing answer <laughs> for whatever issues you have with Biden. That's a refreshing answer. That's what I and, and same thing with just so many Trump issues where if you don't like reality, you get to deny it. I, I think that's really unhealthy. You don't get personal growth without failure. You don't get personal growth without having to swallow that maybe you're not always right and maybe you make mistakes. Um, and so that's, it's a, it's a form of reality denial that's based in not wanting to have introspection or anything uncomfortable about yourself. And I, I think that's really unhealthy for personal growth. I think that's why I'm really struggling with this whole 25th amendment thing, because I'm asking myself, do I want Trump impeached? What is that going to look like? Uh, will that protect us from him running for office again and all these things? Um, and it, it comes back to consequences. It's like, you know, here's this, that, that thinking that you just talked about. He is the head of that. He leads that thinking and he, um, he shows that in everything he does. And I'm like, my bet though, is that Trump is going to, uh, die an old man that will have never truly faced consequences for anything he's ever done. Mm -hmm. He's not like me. He's not like any of us here. He He's never had consequences. Uh, I, I don't think he'll ever rot in prison for any of the sexual assault allegations that are still pending or against him. Um, I don't know if he'll get in trouble for inciting the riots yesterday. And so it just feels uh, really strange to think like if there's not consequences for for someone like that, then why should people think that they need to curb their behavior or their thinking in any way. Yeah, because even if Trump never faces consequences, I, I what I worry about is Trumpism, this idea that's sort of become a symbolic idea that if you don't like something that you've been accused of, you can just deny it. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's such a lost opportunity for, like, again, introspection. For example, you know, Trump won in 2016. He lost the popular vote. He won the electoral vote. I hated that outcome. I also accepted that outcome. Mm -hmm. And I spent a lot of time thinking about why that outcome happened. What in my country allowed that outcome to happen? There's things that if you accept those times of disappointment and loss that will allow you to grow and think about things. If every time you're accused of something, say, your movement had violence in the Capitol yesterday, and you just say, no, no, it didn't. That was someone else. Where is the opportunity mm -hmm. for introspection and growth there? Mm -hmm. I just, that's what I'm having a hard time with. And that's what I think going forward is the only issue I'm struggling with is, how do I love and honor people 
with dignity who just refuse to engage in any sort of introspection or reality. It just, it's going to be a challenge mm-hmm. going forward, I think. Yeah. Yeah, it is going to be a challenge. You're, you're right. I, I think of the same thing, even with American history or church history. There, there are ugly episodes to that that I have to acknowledge. Even if I have, even if I love America, part of what's required of me to love America is to see America honestly, or I don't love America. I love my image of America. Mm-hmm. And if I want to love the church, I have to see church history honestly, or I don't love the church. I love only the parts that look good or make me feel good. And I, I think maybe that's the challenge with us trying to, whether it's political parties or any part of reality is, if I don't want to see it in its fullness, then I don't actually maybe like it like I think I do. Mm. I'm creating an image of it that I'm able to like. And an mm. image of yourself. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I wonder, Beth, it, I'm going to pull back to a bigger picture thing about the thing we struggle with with reality. I, I think we tend to like well-defined villains and heroes. Mm-hmm. Uh, we like the black hats and the white hats. And we wear the white hat. Somebody else wears the black hat. Was that Klusterman who wrote a book called I Wear the Black Hat? Mm-hmm. Such a good book. Um, and it, so I think part of the appeal in today's culture, and I think the internet can make this possible because we can live in this bubble, is if we can identify the other as incredibly villainous, almost anything we do is virtuous. Mm-hmm. So if there really is a cannibalistic pedophile cabal, mm-hmm. good Lord. Almost anything we do goes. It's all, it's a free for all. (laughs) That's right, right. So, but if it turns out, like Solzhenitsyn said, that the line between good and evil runs through my heart, now that's a lot more complex. And I think in some ways, these increasingly divided categories that just paint unmitigated evil and unmitigated good so that we can align, and it turns out the unmitigated good looks a lot like us. If we can manage to do that, we can avoid the hard work of going, crap, um, I did not realize that evil was so close to home. And I didn't realize that people I intensely dislike, there's some good there too, because suddenly now that's complex. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the biggest challenge when it comes to, for all of us, trying to work through reality is trying to place ourselves properly in the story and recognize uh, we we tend to hang out with both villains and heroes and contribute to both. And it's always going to be messy. And we got to be careful about shutting our eyes to either reality. Hmm. Yeah. So I, I wonder if the best thing we can do then is just to model this seeking of truth and critical thinking and questioning these conspiracy theories and conspiracy theorists. Um the one thing I, I want to ask you guys, so I made a video earlier today and I, I don't know how many people listening will have watched it, but I talked about um, because I do feel that so much of what took place yesterday is rooted in a, a racist history. And we talk really deeply about that, too. Um, maybe we should start a new podcast, talk about all these things um, <laughs> is that when I was having discussions, this is during uh, the heat of the, the Black Lives Matter protests with with my black friends. I had to be very careful about uh, not saying that I was hopeful because by saying I was hopeful, I was uh, prematurely kind of pushing away their fears and not actually sitting with them in the things that were happening. Mm -hmm. Because for me, of course I can be hopeful. I'm not actually affected by any of that stuff. Mm -hmm. And so in my video today, I said, I I think that people that discuss hope, and now I want to make it clear, like 
I'm a Christian. I have eternal hope. So this is kind of a different hope that I'm that I'm yeah. talking about. Um, but I think that those that prematurely mention hope are ones that are unaffected, no matter which way the hammer is going to fall. I'm not really going to be super affected by what happened yesterday. <laughs> if I dressed in a fur coat, I would look like many of the men that were there. <laughs> um, or I can shave my face. You really and, like this fur coat image, yeah. don't you? <laughs> oh man, I, I was, that was the best thing that came out of yesterday is just some of the outfits. Um, and so that's, that's kind of where I'm having to tread carefully too, I think is like, yes, I'm hopeful, but I don't know if I want to speak about it yet because I don't want to lull myself into this complacency and like not realize that there's still a ton of work to be done. Does any of that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. What do you think? No, I, it's not that I disagree with you. Um, I think hope is what gives us the energy to continue to fight for that, which is good. Not, <laughs> not in a literal sense. That was the wrong mm -hmm. word to use in the context of this discussion. <laughs> I think it's, well, hope is what gives us the strength and energy to continue to move forward. Okay. Um, at least for myself. So I should come up like there's, you agree with the sentiment, but there could be a yeah, different yeah. word. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I, I think we're in agreement. I'm just, yeah. I'm playing with words in a yeah, different yeah. way. And I think maybe for me, hope, like I would have to just redefine what success will look like. Like, I don't know if I tried to, if the goal is to con convince every conspiracy theorist in my community to not be conspiracy theorists, I think <laughs> I'm going to fail. <laughs> and that, to be honest, I think that's something that, I think that's what I've been wrestling with is I, I've always sort of believed I have some duty to truth by trying to convince friends or family members to come back to some semblance of at least what I see as reality. And I think maybe taking some of that responsibility off my shoulders and just say, I, I don't think I can do that. And maybe focusing on where I can do the most good with people who are seeking or questioning or willing to have conversations. Um, again, I'm trying not to completely dismiss this sort of extreme segment, but I also realize I think that's not where my efficacy can lie. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it is going to be in people who are at least willing to engage in conversations with me. And maybe instead of butting my head over and over against a wall on Facebook, trying to convince people in social media threads to believe things they are just never going to believe, it's better to focus on the people who are at least willing to have those conversations. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I wonder sometimes too, if it's worth just looking at um, I'll call it the fruit of people's lives, like people that we know. It turns out that people that we might really disagree with and think don't have uh, clarity about reality in some ways, it turns out they love their neighbors and they're kind to animals and they are generous with their money and time. Like to me, in some ways, what I find hopeful, if we go back to the hopeful part is I still see a lot of the expression of people's lives that is, that is good. And so it makes me think, okay, we're going to, we're going to really wrestle with certain things. And I don't understand, <laughs> I don't understand a lot of things, but at the end of the day, um, my experience of living with them and watching them live, I see lots of good things. Now I would say to people that I know, they weren't in that building yesterday, yeah. right? Now, if I knew somebody who was in that building yesterday and my circle of friends, we're going to have a conversation. But I, I'm not aware that they were, um, and they would, they, yeah, I, I know them to live in a particular way that I think is a very compelling expression of their lives. I think the challenge is to try to figure out what is, that feels like a disconnect. Mm -hmm. How, I was just thinking the word disconnect. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> How do we become people of integrity? That is, everything about us is integrated because those things are at odds. 
Um, yeah. And there's no easy reconciliation answer. I don't yeah, feel right. like. <laughs> I think you're right, Beth. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. This was, I mean, do you guys have any other like closing thoughts or anything? I'm thinking just how to implement some of these things in my own life. And I, but I'm also really, really tired. <laughs> but the hope, the hope aspect that you talked about and me reworking some of my thoughts about that, you know, I think I'll be ready to go again tomorrow. Hopefully. <laughs> yeah. All I can say is I picked the wrong time to do dry, dry January. I was thinking I that, that all this week. I was like, this is a rough month for this. Uh, yeah. Someone had tweeted, I can't remember something about like, could you have ever imagined that 2021 would start like this? And I think it was accompanied with like a meme of like some creepy clown uh, showing, have you seen that meme? Oh yeah. So, yeah. Twenty name twenty twenty, and it's showing it's like, like the, it, the, clown. the clown. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> showing twenty twenty one the the office or something. And twenty twenty one already said, "Hold my beer." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, it just, yeah, it feels it feels really true right now. I'm gonna give a plug for something mm -hmm. real quick, just involving the search for truth. I think I've mentioned this before, but a an app or a site called Ground News, I'm really enjoying. It is taking popular news stories. And it shows you how much the story is covered by media on the left, on the right. And it has a very cool graph that places media outlets on a spectrum from hard left to hard right. And then you can literally see in real time who is covering what story. And then I think once a week, it has kind of a newsletter that says, these are the blind spots. So this is what people on the left aren't hearing about because the left isn't covering it. This is what people on the right aren't hearing about because the right isn't covering it. I have really found that helpful going through different news stories because I want to know what am I not seeing that I should see. And so ground news is one I use, and maybe you guys can wait on this. I use Flipboard as a new ag news aggregate where you can choose all kinds of different categories. It brings you news from all over the world. Hmm. Those are the two that I'm really liking right now in terms of I, I'm not aware that either one has some type of program that will alter my feed based on my searches. Okay. Do either one of you have something like that that you use? Those are good recommendations. I mean, I just typically try to like do what you were talking about earlier and just pull from variety. I, you know, I'm watching TV. I switch between Fox and CNN and just try to get a sense of where the coverage is. I think my only plug from a news perspective would be to, as you're consuming all of this, uh, usually partisan national news to support local news. I'm obviously mm, a local totally journalist. Totally agree. No, I totally but agree. I actually, as someone who works almost exclusively in local news, I don't really focus on, focus on state or national uh, issues. I, I really believe in the importance of it. And I really believe, you know, you spend so much of your headspace thinking about Trump or Biden or whatever it is. But really what affects you in your day-to-day -day life is local policy. It's school board decisions. Mm -hmm. It's local city commission decisions. So my only plug from a news perspective is support your local news sources because that's a lot of the news that's actually going to impact your day-to-day -day life. You told me that a couple years ago, and I have tried to make it a policy that when I read a story on a national level, I try to go find a newspaper from that state or that city because I'd like to hear what those people are saying about it. And usually you find that something got distorted by the time it got to the national level. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. I mean, I guess as far as what I do, um, I don't know if this is a great answer or not, but I try to really just sit with a lot of stuff and it is stressful and it's a lot of work and it's, I kind of wish it wasn't a characteristic of mine, but when, it, when something happens, I try to just, I guess, think uh, as critically about it as I can and try to poke holes in my own, my own thoughts and opinions that I have about it because I, I've now started to surround myself with such a diverse group of people that have 
opinions, varying opinions about a lot of things that I want to be able to have conversations with multiple types of people. And that is actually something you kind of need to prepare yourself for. If, if you don't prepare yourself and you're going in with someone that has a totally different opinion, and, and we're talking about reasonable people here, mm-hmm. um, you're going to find that you're either on the defensive the whole time or you're putting them strictly on the defensive the whole time. And so we have to figure out like how to prepare ourselves for real conversations. So that's what I try to do. The thought just struck me. Sorry, I feel like we, we've been closing for 15 minutes. <laughs> no, it's good. But I keep thinking of things. So this thought just struck me that if I'm talking with someone who I think is out of touch with reality, they think I'm out of touch with reality, Yeah. Mm-hmm. right? So we're, we're both walking into this conversation on pins and needles, and we're both wondering, how do we make this work? So I wonder what it looks like for me to say, how would I like this person who thinks I'm out of touch with reality? How would I like them to interact with me? I'd probably like them to be patient. I'd like them to be thoughtful. I'd like, I I could go through this whole list of things. Okay, then let's be fair. That's what I need to extend to them also. Mm -hmm. Or the flip side would be, if I'm willing to act a certain way toward them, then I hope I'm willing to accept that right back from them. And so I'm trying to remind myself in those conversations, they're probably experiencing all the same emotions I'm experiencing. Mm. Okay. So what does it look like to each of us kind of a Kantian kind of ethic? you know, offer to the other, what would you want offered to you? All right. Yeah. Anything, Beth, do you want to go I mean, on a five I minute thing? I can't like end like, with like a plug for <laughs> yeah. the golden rule, essentially. Like, <laughs> I agree. Follow the golden rule. <laughs> Anthony likes to, yeah, really show us up at the end of these. Um, awesome. Thank you guys so much for, for weighing in on some of this. I feel like it's still super raw and there is a definite risk associated with getting on a microphone so quickly. And so I, I hope that listeners will give us some grace. I'm still formulating a lot of what I think about what just happened. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I thought we could provide some value. So thank you guys so much. Thanks for having us. And thank you for listening. We love you. Bye-bye.